Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. All right, I know we always say this, grab your notes, grab your Bibles, right? I ain't messing around today, all right? Grab your Bibles. I'm a maximizer. That's personality trait. I know how to get the most of something. I know when it comes to finances, it means I'm cheap. But what it really means in a service like this, here's how you're going to get the maximum out of what I'm about to tell you. Have a Bible open in front of you, okay? So I know there's one in the chair. Look around. Just grab one if you don't have one on you. I know some of you use your, your phones, the version app. You're welcome to open that as well. I'm going to be in Isaiah 55. Um, let me start with this, though. Does the name Michelle Kwan strike a chord with you? Professional figure skater, now retired, but she was a five-time world champion, Olympic medalist. And she tells the story of when she was five years old when her career began. I don't know if you call it a career when you're five, right? Looking back, though, you're five. Her first ice skating lesson, her coach, first thing her coach ever taught her, how to fall. And she remembers at five years old, like, shouldn't you be teaching me how to skate, not how to fall? But her coach knew something. Over the years, no matter how long you're going to skate, you're going to fall many, many times. And so I better teach you how to fall. And so that's what we've been trying to do in this series on regret, is teach you how to fall. Because you're all going to fall. And when you fall, we got to teach you how to get back up. And so in this series in regret, I'm actually going to wrap up the whole series today. We've been talking about four different types of regrets, right? The first is the foundation regret. It's small little decisions in the wrong direction that accumulate to something bad. Think double stuff Oreos. I know, you just, I just got some of your attention, like, mmm. One ain't going to kill you, but day after day, package after package is going to put you in the ground early, all right? Accumulating small little bad decisions. The second type of regrets are moral regrets, and right? It's, it's hey, here's the line. I'm never going to cross the line. I'm never going to cross the line. I'm never going to... How do I get on the other side of the line? And we cross this moral line and we have a moral regret. And there's boldness regrets, right? We failed to step out and be bold because we were stuck in fear. And the fourth one, connection regrets. We somehow lost a friendship, lost a relationship because of either rift or drift. And it was interesting. I was in my men's group this last week and we were talking about it. And it was interesting. There was more discussion this week than all the other three weeks. I mean, which might be understandable because we get to moral regret and you're like, yeah, who wants to talk? You go first. But we got to connection regret and guys were like, rah, 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 rah. we went overtime. And I think it's because in the last two years, we've all lost friendships, haven't we? I mean, we, we used to have friends, but somebody moved away. <laughs> we used to have friends, but then somebody got weirdly radicalized over an issue and we just, man, they can't be friends anymore. We used to have friends, and some people, I just don't even know what happened to them. And, and so here's what we're doing as a church. Starting now, throughout this summer, we're just creating events for people. Over the last couple months, we've been having uh, the children's ministry and student ministries. We've been having these stage of life events, like the preschool parents all get together. 
And the elementary age school parents, they all get together. And then the, the middle school and the high school, just to create connections with people. Because we know in the last two years, there's been more loneliness, more broken friendships. And so we've been trying to create these. Um, we, we're trying to create an event for young adults, but we didn't know what to call it. We're like, well, how do you define a young adult? We thought about doing a Dinks event. Dual income, no kids, right? And then we thought, well, why don't we do a stage of life event for like empty nesters or, or baby boomers or retired. But wait, there's like 70-year-olds who are still working. You're like, we didn't know what to call that. So maybe you can help me with that. Send me an email. Be like, boomers, don't, don't use that. Well, there's a church party on the patio, June 12th. In July, we're going to do a men's dinner. There's a women's pizza in the park. In July, we're going to do worship night outdoor in our amphitheater. Why? Because, man, connection regrets. We need new connections. We need better connections. It's what the family of God is. I mean, we're connected together. And so that's where we're headed this summer. But I, I didn't get together today to talk about um, what we're doing this summer. I, we're getting together today because I want to wrap up our whole series. I want to wrap this up because this is what we've invited you to do. Think about your regrets. And you had three options. Let me give them to you real quick. I invited you to look back and say, what kind of regrets do I have? Because sometimes as Christians, we're just simplistic. We're like, regrets. Oh, that means you sinned and messed up. You should apologize, get forgiveness, and then move on, right? Well, it's just not that simple. We invited you to look back at your regrets and figure out what kind they are. So here's your options. Number one, you can ignore them. Like, I ain't looking back. I know what's back there. <laughs> I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to talk to anybody about it. I've been working really hard to get out of that. I, I'm not looking back. I don't want to deal with my regrets. You have this option too, though, is maybe you look back and you started replaying your regrets, right? It's like you, you started processing them. You started chewing on them, but you, you kept chewing on them. You just can't actually swallow them and get rid of them, and you're kind of stuck on them. The other thought is this, hopefully, and, and hopefully we've been giving you some good resources. You know, when your mind is just bouncing around with regret, one of the things we suggested you do is write them down so it can get out of your head down on paper and you can look at it and say, now what do I do with this? How do I move through it? And hopefully we've given you some helpful things over the week. I'm not going to go into all of it, but I want to give you a third option of what you can do with your regrets. Here it is. You can redeem them. Um, let me talk with you just for a moment about the research on this. I've been borrowing these four types of regret from Daniel Pink's book called The Power of Regret. Now, what's interesting is the book isn't written from a Christian perspective. There's no mention of God. There's no hint to it. It's a research book that comes from this massive survey called the World Regret Survey. And so I got to chapter 14 and I finished the book and yet there was this little thing left over at the end. It wasn't another chapter. It actually, it said this. It said, Coda, regret and redemption. And I was like, Coda? What does that even mean? And in music, it means like there's something at the end there that they tag on that doesn't really fit the, the main structure of it. They don't know what to do with it. So they just, they put it at the end. At the end of this whole book on regret that is not written from a Christian perspective, God's not mentioned in it at all, there's this little thing called Coda, Regret and Redemption. And I was like, oh, let's read that. Four and a half pages. 
That's all it was. Every other chapter was like 12 pages long. And I was thinking, really, with regret, all we have to say about redeeming regret is in four and a half pages. And it's not even a chapter. It's just this little coda. I know what redemption is for Christians, right? I mean, Jesus redeemed us. He redeemed our sins. He pays for our sins on the cross, right? So we bring him our sins and we get something in exchange for it. Forgiveness. Relationship with him. A brand new life where he starts transforming us into the character of God. Now, I was curious. What do they mean by redemption and redeeming regret in a book that has nothing to do with God? So, I started reading this coda. And it it quotes a study by a guy by the name Dan McAdams, a Northwestern University psychologist. He's long argued that people forge their identities by one of two stories. The first story he calls a contamination sequence, where their life starts good and moves towards the bad. A contamination sequence. Their lives move from good to bad. Here's what they, his research proves, quote, they tend to be unhappy with their personal lives and unimpressive in their professional contributions. (laughs) If you see that your life started good and headed bad, And that's what you're anticipating. It's not a happy life. But the other he calls a redemption sequence. In which events go from being bad or starting bad or having some pain in your life. And actually moving to something good. He writes this about his research. People with narratives rooted in redemption. Meaning that they have regrets. There's some pain in life. But something, once it bad happens, they find a way to see good come out of it. Here's what he writes. Those people are generally more satisfied, accomplished, and they rate their lives as meaningful. Regret offers us ultimate and ultimate redemptive narrative. It's as powerful and affirming as any positive emotion, but it arrives on our doorsteps wearing a disguise. What he's trying to communicate is this, is regret's bad. (laughs) It's painful. It, It doesn't feel good. It's not good. But when you can see that through the the bad regrets of your life, that something good can come from it. And remember, this isn't from a religious perspective. Those are people of hope. And they're not people of discouragement. The good that can come from your regrets are twofold. Number one, it's this. It can just change you for the better. Hopefully, if you look back over your regrets and you deal with them in a healthy way, you're like, hey, I learned something. Or maybe you saw the pain that it created. You're like, I not only learned something, I actually now have a conviction. It's meaningful to me to do this differently. But here's the second value. Don't you now know how to help people deal with their regrets when they go through the same thing? And again, we haven't even gotten to a Christian perspective on this. That's how the book ended. Just four and a half pages, a really short coda of, hey, some of y'all, if you have a better attitude and see that your life can move towards the good, that you know what, you'll be happy and more productive in your careers. So today's message is my attempt to write a 15th chapter to a book I didn't write. I want to write the Christian perspective on regret and redemption. And let me explain it this way. Do you collect bottles and cans? 
Some of y'all do. There are people in this valley who collect bottles and cans. I live near the corner of uh, Branham High School. Branham and Meridian right there. You know where that big recycling thing is? That line is long. There are people there with trash can, trash can, trash can, trash can that they're kind of pulling. They're, they're bringing in their bottles and cans. Why? Because unless they bring it in, it's just trash, right? They're going to throw it away, but it has value. You look at a bottle, it's like, oh, that's worth a nickel. So they pile up their trash, they wait in a redemption line, and they bring it in to exchange it for something of value. That's a redemption line. I know you call it recycling. This is what redeeming is. You ready? Redeeming is exchanging our trash for something of value. Or it's turning our failures and regrets in for something better. The Christian idea of redemption is this. Jesus, he paid for our sin. He paid for our regret. So that means this. Our regret then is actually, even though it's bad and it's painful, is actually a doorway. It it can be a gift to us if it brings us to Jesus so that we realize that we are actually loved by God. That he's forming us a new identity in us. That our hearts are being transformed to become like God's heart. That we're being directed and led by God into a better life. Now we also have this opportunity to help people know where the line of regret is. And you know where the line of regret is? It begins at the cross where Jesus paid for our trash and for our sins and for our regrets. But I know I'm getting way ahead of myself. I haven't even opened the Bible yet. And so um, let's get there because I want to talk about redeeming regret from the book of Isaiah. I've already told you kind of where we're headed. And if you have not been with us in this series on Isaiah, I'm flying a very high level. A 30,000 foot view. I'm giving you kind of summaries and just touching on stories in the book of Isaiah. There's no way I'm getting you all 66 books of this. So let me just give you a brief summary, right? Isaiah. He's a prophet. He speaks on behalf of God to urge people to return to God, right? He warns them, if you don't return to God, God will get your attention through two groups of people, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and it's not going to be fun. But God promised that even though the Babylonians would wreck their people, that a remnant would return to Jerusalem. And after they return from exile, God invites them to repent, turn back to me. Here's what's interesting. Those that come back, there's two groups. There's one group that actually repents and says, God, I'm so sorry, lead me, guide me. They're called the servants in the book. Then there's a group of people that they come back and they're like, they haven't even learned their lesson, even after years of being in pain over being in exile. And they're called the wicked in the book. And so I'm going to open up to Isaiah 55. What I want to show you is this, the closing chapters of the redemption story. What does redeeming regret look like? Where we're in our passage right here, they've returned to Jerusalem. God's got their attention. There's some that will repent and some that won't. I want you to listen to this. It's Isaiah 55, and it's the beginning of what it looks like to redeem regret. And the point is this. Redeeming regret begins when it actually draws us back to God. Look at his invitation. Verse 1 of chapter 55. God says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. He's like, you have nothing. 
of value other than your regrets. But if you bring your regrets, you'll exchange it for something that is satisfying. He's not talking about physical food alone. He's talking about spiritual food. Verse 2, he says, and you will delight, at the end of verse 2, and you will delight in the richest of fare. There's a good life that he has for us. Give ear, come to me, listen that you may live. That listen is like, listen, don't just come to me and try and get my stuff. Come to me and listen so that you can follow me. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. When we bring our regret and trash to God, he's like, here's what you get. You get me. A covenant relationship where I will love you, forgive you, lead you into a life that is good. This is the group that's returned to Jerusalem. He offers them this friendship. He offers them love. And I would say this. If you've been going through this regret series, first of all, man, you came back for a fifth week to talk about your regrets? Wow. I'm impressed. This is not easy. If you've actually been kind of doing the work at home, going to your community group and talking about it, it's not easy, but it's actually refreshing. If you have regrets, maybe this is what you'll do today. Maybe we've made it finally clear enough that the redemption line is right here at the cross where Jesus says, I paid for it. Why don't you exchange your regrets for new life, love, forgiveness? I know there's some of you that don't believe that God deeply, deeply loves you. You think he puts up with you. And it's not true. That's you talking. That's not God talking. God offers you relationship. God offers you your innocence. God offers you hope. I would hope that some of you from this day forward would decide to do life with him because that's where redemption begins. But there's more to this. The second is this. It's redeeming regret. It actually equips us to be able to show people where to exchange their trash for a life that is good. I mean, once you know where the line is, right? I just told you, like, hey, the corner of Branham and Meridian. That's where you bring your trash. (laughs) I can take you there. I could show you. What if someone came into your workplace and said, man, I have so many regrets. And you'd be like, hey, it ain't Branham and Meridian, but let me take you to a place where I exchange my regrets for a life where I now walk with God. That's a life of joy. It's a life of love. Let me show you where this shows up in Isaiah, the very next verse. It says, See, I have made him a witness to the people, a ruler and commanders of the people. Surely you will summon nations you know not. Stop for a minute. Underline the word nations if you've got a pen. There's a group of nations that are not God's people, Judah, here in this sequence. But there's these nations that are going to come to you. It says, and the nations you do not know will come running to you. Isaiah is writing to the nation of Judah, right? And they have exclusively been God's people. But he's saying, in the future, there's going to be other nations who will come to you, and they're going to need to deal with their regrets. Here's what we're realizing. You're learning how God feels about the nations on this planet. I know in the Old Testament, it's really simple to go, you know what? God loves a certain people. That's his chosen people. And he just wants to wipe everybody else out. That's not true. Do you know that God loves people? God loves people from all kinds of nations. I know in the United States, we feel this exclusive 
privilege. As if God chose us. And we don't have that privilege. We've had economic privilege here. We've had freedom privileges. Can I just say this? We are only one nation that God cares about. He loves us, but he doesn't love just us. Redeeming regret, the third thing, is actually it communicates how God feels about people who are far from him. See, in Isaiah, we think it's all about this nation of Judah, and he's not. He's saying, listen, there's going to come other nations. And I love them, and I care about them, and I want them to figure out how they can deal with their regrets. Look at Isaiah 56. Turn the page. Isaiah 56, 3. He says this, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord... Okay, stop there for a minute. I know that you use the word foreigner. We don't use that term um, very much anymore. But he's saying, those that are not of Judah, if you are not of Judah, but yet you said, I want the Lord in my life, you're bound to him, let that... Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say this. The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. He won't. He wants you. He goes on to say this. These other nations I will bring to my holy mountain. I'm going to give them joy in my house of prayer. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. God is opening up his house to all the nations is what it says. And this isn't the only place in the scripture that it declares this. It continues on. The sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Here's God's heart. (laughs) That all kinds of people from different backgrounds, different colors, different religious experiences, that he would call all of them to the cross of Jesus so that they knew what to do with their pain, their brokenness, their sin, and their regret. Here's the crazy thing. <laughs> He's brought him to the Bay Area. Hasn't he? How many of you, would you raise your hand? How many of you have a friend who was not born in the United States? Raise your hand. How, a co-worker? I mean, so many of you. There's so many of you in this room right now who weren't born in the United States. By the way, this isn't a reference to the United States. By the way, it's the nation of Judah. Don't miss this. God's heart is that he cares for, for all the nations to bring their regrets, their brokenness, and exchange it for forgiveness, right? Here's what's interesting. When Jesus comes and he dies on the cross, this is actually the same mission pronounced in Isaiah that Jesus gives us. Let me just read this to you. Um, redeeming regret, it's the mission that Jesus invites all Christians to join. After he was resurrected back to life, before he goes to heaven, he gives them this final statement, this final mission to his followers. He says, therefore, I want you to go. I want you to make disciples of all all the nations. Not your family, not just your friends, not just your co-workers. I want every nation on earth to have the opportunity to come to me. Go and make disciples of them. He goes... On, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Here it is. The good news of Jesus is that God loves us, but not just us. Can I just ask you a quick question? If you're a follower of Jesus, how are you doing at the mission? <laughs> how are you doing at the mission of helping other people know where the redemption line is? 
I don't say that to shame us. I say that to remind us that there's an urgency to this. There's people who are going to go through their life, maybe because their families, they didn't grow up in a church. They didn't grow up in a nation that was primarily Christian. And they might never hear that God loves them, even in their brokenness, even in their mess-ups, even in their foolishness, that God loves them and provided a way to forgive them. And I know this. I'm guilty of this. We forget the urgency of it. So here's where I want to finish and land. I just want to remind us this final thought, that redeeming regret, the fifth thing, it has an urgency in rescuing people from regret. Let me show it to you real quick. Go to the last chapter in Isaiah. Isaiah 66. It's the final paragraph in Isaiah's letter as he wraps this up. And as I read this to you, it might sound familiar if you're familiar with the Bible. Because he's writing about something that that has not taken place even yet. He's writing about something in the future. Here's what he writes in verse 22. As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. All mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord, and they will go out. This gets dark. Hang on. And they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worms that eat them will not die, and the fire that burns them will not be quenched. And this will be loathsome to all mankind. Let me explain this real quick. Hang tight. He writes about a new heaven and a new earth. Because in the future, I know Matt earlier said, hey, we've been here for 172 years It's our anniversary as a church this last week, and we're praying for another great 172 years. I don't think we have that long. I pray to God we don't have that long. There's going to be a time where Jesus comes and the current heaven and the current earth that is now separated because there's a heaven and there's an earth, and they're separated because of sin. They're going to be done away with, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth that won't be separated. It will be together because God will dwell with his people completely. Like, where did you get that from? This is what Isaiah is talking about. I'll show you where it comes from in just a minute. And he says, you will endure, you're my followers. But then he says, there's a group of people that they're not going to follow me. They're going to rebel against me. And whatever they want on earth, they get in eternity. What does that mean? When what you want on earth is to go, God, I don't need you. God, I don't want you. God, whatever. When it comes to eternity, he's like, you didn't want me? Okay, you don't get me. He talks about these bodies of those that rebelled against me. The worms that never stop eating, the fire that burns them will not be quenched. And they're loathsome, detestable to all mankind. I hope you understand the urgency on this. That the mission that Jesus gave us, the mission that Isaiah writes about, that it's not just the the nation of Judah, that it's real. Can I take you to the other place where this shows up? Turn your Bibles, go to the end. Right before all the definitions and the maps and stuff, you get to Revelation. Go ahead, I'll give you a sec. I'll let you find it. Go all the way to the end. Revelation. Second to last chapter, Revelation 21. It's like the sweetest sound ever when you're preaching and you say, hey, turn there, and you just start hearing pages turn. You're like, oh. 
Someone's following. Revelation 21, verse 1. There's moments where I, I just use a little scripture, and I'll explain it a lot. There's other moments like this right here. I just want to read this and let you saturate in it because there's an urgency to this. He writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea, meaning the sea is the symbol for sin. There's no longer any sin. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. It's interesting. And then he, he writes what he's going to do. Because our world is tough. Because life is broken. Because there's, there's no life that has no regrets. This is what he's going to do. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. You know, if anyone ever invites you to become a Christian because it's easy, they're not inviting you to the Christian faith. For the first 300 years after Jesus left this earth, Christians were martyred, killed, massacred. When he says there's no more death, oh, no one will, they will no longer be hunting me in the new kingdom. But it is good. And there's a reward waiting. Verse 5 says, he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Drop down halfway through verse 6. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Where did we read that? It was in Isaiah. Verse 7, those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they'll be my children. The thing we get is God and relationship where we are fully known and fully loved. It's what we crave. But there's another group of people, and it shows up in verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic, arts, the idolaters, and all liars. These are all people who did not trade in their sin and regrets. They'll be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. You know, some pastors are afraid to preach on this. Because if you talk about hell, what will people think? Are you being manipulative? We don't teach this. We lack urgency in the reality of what this life will be for people who don't know him. I think we should just sit on it and allow it to sink in so it changes the intensity of our mission. Verse 26 says, The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Your regrets won't be there. And neither will your sins. It's a perfect place. You'll be changed. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Who's going to enter? 
It's all of those who said, God, here's my trash. Here's my regrets. I need to exchange this for love, forgiveness. I need to exchange this so that I can be forgiven right here and right now. And the scriptures make note that God writes your name in a book. And when God adopts you, he never unadopts his kids. Listen to me. Some of us think, oh my gosh, I've messed up so much even after praying that prayer. God doesn't unadopt you. He doesn't kick you to the curb. But listen, he doesn't want you to live your life piling up more regrets, right Christians? He wants you to live your life on a mission where you're showing people where the redemption line is. So how are you doing at the mission? My hope is this, twofold. One, I hope that some of you today will get in line, get in the redemption line, and trade in your regret for forgiveness and new life. But understand, when you do that, God does that not only because he loves you and he wants good for you, he wants to be with you forever. He does that for you so that you will help other people figure out where that line is so they can trade in their trash and their regrets as well. So I hope that some of you, you're going to give your life to Christ today. And others of you, if you've done that, and there's a lot of you here, that God will light a fire inside of you. That I don't think we have another 172 years. And there's a massive group of people in this valley who are from all the nations who don't yet know him. And he wants to use us to show them where the line is. Are you in for that? I hope so. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. I want to pray for anybody that you're going to exchange your regrets for new life in Christ today. If you want to do that, I just start praying right now. God, forgive me. God, I have regrets. God, I have done this. I know I'm wrong. God, I do not have you in my life right now, and I want you. Jesus, I believe you paid for my sins on the cross. I believe that you are, you love me, and you want to adopt me into your family for eternity. God, I, I don't want eternity apart from you. I don't want hell. God, I want you today. And if that's what you want to pray, then you are saying from this day forward, you follow him. Oh, there's such a joy in that. It won't be easy, but there'll be joy in that. I also want to pray for those of you that maybe like me, you've grown a little slack in the mission. Would you right now, would you pray for those friends, family members, people on your street, in your workplace that don't yet follow Christ? I want you to pray for them by name. Lord, I know that every morning as my wife and I grab coffee, we just say the names of the people who don't yet know you that we're praying for. God, rescue, deliver, use us, give us a sensitivity, give us the opportunity to to speak your name to people. God, the truth is this, um, God, we can't really win people over. That's something you have to do in their hearts. It's something that you can do. You win them, God, but I know you want us, you want to use us in that process. So God, would you save this valley? Massive amount of people, hundreds, thousands of people, God, would you rescue and save because you love them, God. But Lord, we know that you don't kick in the door of people's hearts. You knock. 
and you wait for them to open the door. But God, would you do that? There's some of us who have family and close, close friends that we don't want to see them. We don't want to see them miss out. So God, light a fire in us so that people come to know you. If you agree with that, would you say amen?